What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Bed, Bath & Beyond, where you can get a spatula, a bathroom scale, and a face mask that looks like a panda. Where building a wedding registry is kind of like playing a video game. But the coupons and return policies that initially brought customers to stores soon hit their expiration date on effectiveness, leaving management grasping for straws on how to turn the company around. And learning the hard lesson that more isn't always better and oldies aren't always goodies. This is... I can't believe I have to say this. Bed, Bath & Beyond on Business on the Brink. Hey, everybody. After that alliterative opening, I am Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten, and you did a really good job on it. One take. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, you know, rubber baby buggy bumpers. What can I say? Yeah. So this was a suggestion from... Somebody whose name I think I recognize? Uh, well, I'd hope so because you know them. Uh, it's my mom. Yeah. Hi, mom. Dawn. Your mom suggested this episode. My mom suggested this. She listens to the show every week. So, yay. Thank, thanks, thanks, mom. Th thanks, Ariel's mom. Yeah, so we're going to cover Bed Bath & Beyond, a company that has a similar sort of history as some other big box retail companies have had. But there are some particulars in this one that get awfully juicy. Also, um, one of the things I think we, we need to start off with is the first note you have here mm -hmm. is about the founders, uh, the, the two founders being uh, Warren Eisenberg and Leonard Feinstein, who founded the company in 1971. Before we go anywhere in this episode, I just want to point out it pays to be the kid of the two founders of Bed Bath & Beyond for reasons we will get into yes, in this episode. Yes, um, You know, like it pays to be the kid of someone who listens to your podcast because they give you good suggestions. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, not quite the same. Uh, so, yes, Warren and Leonard founded the first Bed Bath & Beyond in 1971 in Springfield, New Jersey. And at the time, it was just Bed & Bath. Yeah, there was, there's no Beyond yet. No, 
No, no they were not like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, I was about to say it was only when they when they hired a young, promising Buzz Lightyear <laughs> to join the company that they got. No, they literally were selling bed and bath items, so there was no call for a Beyond yet. Mm-hmm. So then in 1977. They, you know, so they've been operating this for a few years now. They bring in a guy called Arthur Stark to head the company as president, right, to act as president for the company. Mm -hmm. The founders would essentially stay on as members of the board of directors for almost the entire history of Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, and we see this oftentimes someone will start a company – and they'll run it by themselves for a little bit until they go, well, I really need a professional in. Right. Yeah, this this concern has grown to the point where it is beyond my expertise to manage it. And so you bring in somebody else to come in and run the show uh, while you still oversee the general direction of the company. Yeah. So things were going really well. Like they continued to grow as a company over the 70s and into the 80s, right? Yeah. By 1985, they expanded to 17 locations and they opened their first superstore. Mm-hmm. And that's av- that's when they changed their name to Bed Bath & Beyond because they started selling the Beyond. Yeah. The, the, the stuff that was not easily fit – wouldn't easily fit into the bed or bath yeah. category. I mean, so at the time, primarily kitchen stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they'd go into decor and other things. Right. Uh, but that that took some finagling. So, And, and this is right around the time where superstores were – really starting to take off as a concept in the mid-80s. Like, they they had come out originally in the 70s, but this is when you started seeing uh, other types of stores kind of following in those footsteps. And yeah. uh, and this is one of them. So by 91, they had a, they were doing around $134 million in revenue and sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the following year, they became a publicly traded company and they were trading stock on the NASDAQ. Yes. We're going through it quickly because for a while, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond just did really well. By 1999, they were making $1.9 billion a year. Yeah, a a significant jump in just a few years. So, yeah, they they were doing this largely by growing rapidly, opening up new stores. They were being very uh, aggressive Mm -hmm. in expansion at that point. And this is (laughs) – we haven't even really opened up that can yet because we're really – they really got crazy in the following decade. Yes. By the end of 2001, they had almost 400 store locations and hopes to grow to up to 800. Wow. Yeah. So here's the thing. Growing like that, having that sort of aggressive growth strategy, opening up new stores, like actually scouting out locations and either building a a structure or taking over a, a vacant structure – that takes a lot of effort. There mm-hmm. is another way to grow your business quickly beyond building it yourself, and that is buy it. Yes, acquiring other stores yeah. and companies, and that's what Bed Bath & Beyond did. So they did a bunch of research. Uh, from what I read, they actually were very careful in their first acquisition. They wanted to buy something that could fit in well with their current brand, wasn't going to be a direct competitor for them, and had good operating margins and long-term growth. Right. So they didn't want to go out and buy a company that was just going to cut into their own sales. You didn't want to have you know, two stores in the same shopping center, for example, that are competing for the exact same customers. You're not doubling your sales that way. You're just 
dividing where your customers are going. So this was a very smart move on their part. It was. And in 2002, they made their first acquisition. It was Harmon's Stores. And when I was trying to figure out who Harmon was, there is a grocery line in Utah that is also named Harmon's Stores. Turns out that's not the right the right one, right? No, no. Harman, the Harmon they bought was a health and beauty retailer in New Jersey where they also were. Yeah. And since we're down here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, often these regional chains or regional stores are ones that we may not have ever encountered. Yeah. So, so we don't know how much they bought Harmon for, but we do know it was a cash acquisition. Um, Bed Bath & Beyond has been fairly private about a lot of their financials. Mm -hmm. So as much as they can be. So pretty opaque. Yes, yes. Um, But Harmon's at the time was operating 27 stores in three different states. And they had, this was the big thing for Bed Bath & Beyond, they had their own HBA line, Harmon Face Values. And that meant that Bed Bath & Beyond could take this, this private brand and move it into their store because they didn't have HBA, but HBA fits right in with with bath. So this way they could actually carry a brand that no other store in their space could carry apart from Harmon's. Apart from Harmon's, which they owned wholly as a yeah. subsidiary. So, right. Well, and then they that, did, that went so well, that first acquisition, that they said, well, shoot, we're, we're professionals at this. Let's really open up them purse strings and start buying stuff. Yeah, but the next thing they bought It took me a while to figure out why, because the next thing they bought was the Christmas tree shops in 2003 for $200 million, which added another 23 subsidiary stores in five states to their retinue. Now, here's the weird thing, is that Christmas tree shops is a sporting goods store. I'm I'm lying. You are lying. I didn't didn't look. I assume they sell Christmas trees. And and like Christmas decor and things like that. Ornaments and things like that. Which, if you go to a Bed Bath & Beyond now, uh, because we all know that they are not obsolete like Toys R Us right now. Well, kind of like Toys R Us was a year ago. As of the recording of this episode, (laughs) by the time this episode comes out, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, they do put Christmas ornaments and Christmas decor in their stores as it's seasonally appropriate to do so. (laughs) Yes. Which means that since we're recording this at the beginning of September, probably tomorrow they'll start putting them out. Yes. So by 2004, Bed Bath & Beyond had sales of 5.1% billion with a B dollars. Yep. So I guess it's time to make more acquisitions. Yeah. Now, this next acquisition is one where I object strenuously to the name of the company. Which is Bye Bye Baby. B-U-Y, B-U-Y, baby. So I guess you buy babies there? That that to me is incredibly (laughs) problematic. No, you don't buy babies. You buy, buy things for babies. It was a competitor to Babies R Us. Yeah. And they bought it for $67 million. uh, And also part of that was to pay off some of Bye Bye Baby's debt, which was mm-hmm. like almost twenty uh, million at that point. Yes, Bye Bye Baby only had eight stores in four states, and the CEO of Bed Bath and Beyond at the time, Stephen Tamaris, who had been with Bed Bath and Beyond since ninety two, he became COO in ninety seven, and then CEO in two thousand three. He called the acquisition an excellent strategic fit, with the idea that a lot of their customers are either prospective or current parents. But here's the thing. Okay, here's where I was saying it pays to be the the kid of one of the founders of Bed Bath & Beyond. Yes, because the person who owned Bye Bye Baby was the son of Leonard Feinstein, one of the founders. And so there were a lot of people who said this acquisition wasn't so much a strategic acquisition as it was an effort to bail out 
the son of a founder of Bed Bath & Beyond, because again, if you remember, we mentioned that part of that acquisition involved paying off nearly $20 million in debt. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, 2007 also saw international expansion. So, I mean, it's still good things, even with this alleged buyout. They uh, opened- Or alleged bailout, because it was a definite buyout. You're right, Jonathan. <laughs> You're very smart. Now shut up. No, okay, please don't. No, it's fair. <laughs> please don't shut up. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do this alone. Uh, so they opened their first store in Canada in yes. 2007, mm-hmm. and the next year they expanded into Mexico City through a partnership with Home and More. Uh, and Home and More would eventually change their name to Bed Bath and Beyond in 2013. Yeah. So now they are occupying all of North America, uh, and in 2008, uh, it was great news for Bed Bath and Beyond, but bad news for somebody else. The the business Linens in Things, which you could view as the Lex Luthor to Bed Bath and Beyond's Superman. They were bald. I mean, they they definitely had a real close shave in 2008. <gasps> but a chink. Uh, so they didn't just have a close shave. They actually closed up shop. The company went totally bankrupt. They liquidated their assets. They sold off all their brick-and-mortar stores. There were 571 of them at the peak. Gigads. Yeah. Now, granted, they didn't sell them all off at once. It was a long, slow, painful march toward bankruptcy. And they were really the only competitor in the big box retail space for the type of stuff that Bed Bath & Beyond was doing. Like, there were other companies that were selling stuff that Bed Bath & Beyond also sold, but Lens & Things was the only one really dedicated to the exact same space, mm-hmm. and now they were gone. So now Bed Bath & Beyond was operating without a real competitor in that space. Uh Linens and Things, by the way, would reemerge in 2009 as a web-based retailer, but would ultimately shut down for goodsies in 2018. So maybe at some point we'll do another story, or maybe we'll just say, hey, do you remember that episode about Bed Bath & Beyond? Just do a fine copy replace with, with Linens, linens and, and things, things, which is not really the case. No. They're very different stories. No. And I mean, Bed Bath & Beyond would soon get a bunch of competitors, but – we aren't there yet. By 2011, they were making $9.5 billion. So much money. Yes. And by 2012, they made two more acquisitions. Okay. And uh, what were those? Well, the first was Cost Plus Incorporated or Cost Plus World Market. Yes. Which I love for $495 million. You love it for $495 million? I love it. They bought it for $495 million. Fair, fair. But if I had $495 million, I might – just be like, okay, this one costs plus. Give me all your stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, and I, then after that, they bought Linen Holdings LLC for $105 million, right? Yes. And Linen Holdings did uh, more industrial distribution. So bed, bath, and tableware and linens and textiles to things like cruise lines, food service, hotels. hotels yeah. Yeah. Like all the hospitality industry and that kind of stuff as well. Gotcha. So we are now at a point where we're kind of at the peak of Bed Bath & Beyond in 2011, which was not that long it ago. It really wasn't. And yet we're about to enter into an era where things would go radically in a different direction. But before we get there, I think we need to take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. 
Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. All right, so we're back, and we're back with Bed Bath & Beyond, and now we're up to 2013. We were still jumping forward a bit, and things were still going like gangbusters. Uh, they had five subsidiaries at that point, and they, even though they had five subsidiaries, Bed Bath & Beyond, like the core business, still accounted for the majority of their revenue. Yeah, right? over 60% of their stores were Bed Bath & Beyond stores. Mm-hmm. Because these other acquisitions were small when they got them. And more regional. Yeah. You know, like the like the New Jersey chains and stuff like that. So they grew them, but they also used them to grow their business and expand their offerings. This is also when we started seeing – I mean, obviously the, the companies we're about to mention have been around for a while. But we started seeing companies like Target and Walmart and Amazon – compete more fiercely in the same space as Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, yeah. But despite that, in 2013, they were up to $11.5 billion in sales. Mm. And it looked like they might actually be able to take a stand against all of these extra big box stores, which is what I'm going to call them. Yeah, uh, some of them being online big box stores like yeah. Amazon. And part of it was attributed to the fact that the company was very fiscally conservative up to this point, other than buying the the – the um, subsidiaries. Mm-hmm. So they had very little debt. And even when they were acquiring these other companies, they did it at a time where they said that it wasn't going to affect their bottom line for that year. Whether mm-hmm. or not that's actually the case, we don't know because they don't really break out these other companies and their financials. They lump them all together. Oh, yeah. That's one of the issues that we will revisit as well is that when it came to financial reporting, 
they weren't they wouldn't break this down by here's how much this particular subsidiary brought in here's how much this subsidiary brought in here's how much bed bath and beyond brought in they would group them all together and so it made it very challenging to understand what parts of the company were doing well and which parts might not be doing so well yeah now another part they thought that was leading to their success was the longevity of their leadership you know, the founders are still on the board. They had a very long-standing CEO and a very long-standing president. And yeah, and, this, just, and, you know, we've talked so many times about how you would have, like, a rapid change in executive leadership and that could result in doom for the company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would think that having the same leaders in place for a long time could really help guide a company. But here's the here's the thing is that sometimes stuff changes – and you need to have leadership that can adapt to change. And and if you're comfortable, you may not notice that change. And if you're a company that makes a, acquisitions in order to bail out the children of founders, which would happen again, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's uh, that can be an issue. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get there. All that. So Bed Bath and Beyond also has very aggressive buyers who who really. I would say they could squeeze blood from a stone. Like they're really good on getting uh, distributors to agree to really good sales prices and things right. like that. So, so they were going out to to the providers of whatever, like the the, the companies that are making these products, mm-hmm. and being able to get them at a really good price, and then of course mark it up to yeah. sell sell to the final customer. And they made a lot of demands to those manufacturers and distributors, but. They those manufacturers and distributors also got a lot of, of you know, push for their products. So mm-hmm. it was a give and take. They were willing to meet a lot of those demands. They also looked uh, from some reports that I I read for instead of looking for prime retail space, they looked for affordable retail space. Mm. Now whether it was affordable enough or not, I don't know. But in other words, they were looking for things like they were trying to balance out. Uh, does this space make sense? Like if we paid this premium amount for this space, we might be in a much more visible spot, but we may not see a good return on that investment as opposed to let's go, you know, maybe three blocks over to a spot that's not considered quite as as valuable, but at the same time, we'll make a better return. Uh, Yeah, I get it. And then, of course, there's one other component we have to talk about Mm -hmm. because anyone who's ever shopped at Bed Bath & Beyond – and put their email, registered their email with Bed Bath & Beyond, knows about the coupons. Yes. These these coupons got a lot of people into the stores. I know. I'm married to one of them. <laughs> I mean, I usually go, oh, Bed Bath & Beyond coupon. I'm going to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm sure there's something I need or want, and then I forget the coupon at home. And then I'm not signed up for the electronic coupons. Well, I am now, but I wasn't. So I go in and I wouldn't actually have a coupon. Regardless, these coupons would give you like 5% off your entire order or 20% off your most expensive item. Some really good deals. They were very lenient with the expiration dates. Yes, extremely so. Yes, and also very lenient with a return policy. You could return an item to anywhere, used or new. Um, Well, any Bed Bath & Beyond. Like you couldn't return it to Target. Yeah, exactly. You walk into a GameStop and say (laughs) – I want I want some money back for this toilet brush I bought. <laughs> yeah. And they thought that they had this coupon plan figured out well. They were going to factor the discounts into their pricing. Mm-hmm. So they could do pricing that was a little bit higher because people would be – Using the coupon to be, bring it back down. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and then they would also weigh that with the amount of people that they thought were going to pay full price for items like me when I'd go in because I forgot my coupon, but versus, I still wanted to buy the thing. Versus the, the mega couponers who have that stack ready to go yes, at any moment. Because they would also stack coupons for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. If you ever saw any of those shows about like the crazy couponing type stuff, like this is one of the companies that was uh, a, a frequent like it would frequently pop up on that sort of thing. Yes. Um, but I think I think we've talked too much about coupons. So we okay, should move that's on. we'll move on on. So we get over to this this part where Bed Bath and Beyond's been doing really well, and they've been you know trying to attribute that success to a several different things, but we're now getting to the point where where we're about to have the tilt, right? Yes. Yeah. So in 2015, they plan to open 30 more stores across all their properties, so not just Bed Bath & Beyond stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a bunch more acquisitions. So they bought Of A Kind in 2015, One King's Lane and Personalization Mall in 2016. One King's Lane. That's the one that's in Kingsman, right? That's the... That, that's the you know, I can't disprove it because okay. I don't know what One King's Lane sells. Uh, I like to think of way that to call as, me out, Jonathan. I like to think of that as the store <laughs> where all the Kingsman stuff takes place. I know it's not, but I just anyway. And personalization mall was like this little niche online thing. So they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, we're gonna dip our toe in that. in the online yeah. Um, and then they bought Chef Central and Decorist in 2017, and a lot of these were niche acquisitions. And or helping them get in the online market because they had a website, but it you know even recently it's not super current. Yeah, it was. It definitely wasn't following the best practices that you would see in other online retailers. And one of those companies that you just listed, Ariel, um, I don't think was like a strategic acquisition, was it? No, it was uh, another. "Quote unquote bailout." Yes, for Chef a Central. Child. Yeah, yeah. Warren Eisenberg this time. So Feinstein had already had uh, his turn at bailing out a kid with the uh, acquisition that we had mentioned previously, mm-hmm. and now Chef Central was another one. Now this the other founder, Warren Eisenberg's kid, and this is where I why I said it pays to be the <laughs> kid of those two founders because if you if you have a business concern and things go belly up. You know, maybe Daddy will run around and help help put things right again by spending millions of dollars. It was more like million of dollars, but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, come on, still, I mean, it's still a lot. It's more money than I have. But listen, if I if I fall into major debt, I can't expect my parents to rush in <laughs> and, and bail me out. I mean, my parents love me, but I'm not going to put them in that position. Yeah. Um, now, the problem with Chef Central <laughs> is that. It had a lot of competing items with Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath & Beyond already had a kitchen section. Yeah. So That's this, pretty extensive. So this was one of those cases where it wasn't complementing the uh, the overall business. It was actually in competition with it. Yes. And so eventually those would really struggle and close. Um, this is also when they're starting to feel the crunch of not having a good online presence. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed with this non-methodical acquisition game, I wonder if they were, like, starting to anticipate 
a downturn and right that maybe the overcorrect strat- the strategies that had led to kind of explosive growth are the sort of things that are not sustainable in the long run and can ultimately lead to becoming bloated and then collapse. Yeah. Not yep. to put words in your mouth or anything. No, that was much more eloquent than I, Jonathan. <laughs> so they're way behind on companies like Amazon and Wayfair, which are frequently mentioned as two of the big competitors to Bed Bath & Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, far, far behind them, especially, particularly in the online world. That's really yeah. what we're talking about. Although here. Wayfair is looking to open brick and mortars. So, yes. um, yeah, they, so they started looking at limiting their coupons. Uh, because <laughs> people were going nuts so with the coupons. Yes. And they thought, hey, that's what will save us. We'll we'll cut out all that expense. But the problem was they didn't really have a good plan to keep bringing people in. Yeah, and the coupons were effective in bringing people into the stores. Mm-hmm. So now that incentive was gone, and that was actually slowing down the traffic going into the stores. Yes, and, and this is where you can tell they're grasping at straws because for me, Bed Bath & Beyond is a place where you go in, you might buy a couple big ticket items or put them on a list, but then you're going to impulse buy a bunch of little stuff. And they started looking at a showroom model for their stores where you could go in and look at things, but you'd have to go purchase them online. Yeah, so this was that's kind of the approach that Best Buy did, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you go and you might check out like an audio system in the store. And then you go home and you order it online and then they come out and they set it up and everything. But they don't – you don't need that necessarily with a lot of these items. Some of them you might, like if you're actually getting a bed. But <laughs> Yeah, but if, if you're looking at kitchen utensils, it's going to kill the majority of your impulse buys. Yeah. So online sales continued to go well for other companies. And then you started to see, because of the fact that the brick-and-mortar stores weren't getting as much traffic, they weren't getting as much attention, uh, they were starting to fall into disrepair. You started to have stores that may not be as well organized as they used to be. This is actually, this really reminds me of Toys R Us. Yeah. Because the last few times I went into Toys R Us before that one started to close everywhere, uh, it was a nightmare walking into those stores. Well, and here's the thing. So we all know that when, or... You should know if you've been listening to enough of our episodes. It is common that when your company starts to show some weakness, you get private equity firms looking to buy it, yes. saying, "I this is a profitable company or a formerly profitable company, and I bet I could turn it. Right. It's just that uh, the problems that lie with this company are mostly at the top level, the management level. They've lost their way. So if we just put people in there who know how to flip things – this could become a moneymaker again. Yeah, and one of those companies was Leonard Green and & Partners. And they built a stake in the company, but the deal never actually went through. And the problem is, you said that Bed Bath & Beyond reminded you of Toys R Us. Well, it started reminding other equity firms of Toys R Us, too. And so... Everyone started saying, maybe we shouldn't yeah. pour money into this because it may be on the fast track to decline that's so severe that we can't turn it around. Yeah. And then if Bed Bath & Beyond said, hey, I want to just sell off, you know, buy ba- Bye Bye Baby or... The chefs, whatchamacallit. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't do that because they didn't break out the financials. Right. They so, didn't have that transparency to attract buyers for their subsidiaries. Exactly, yeah. So because now they have, the, since they were showing it all in bulk and not delineating which divisions were doing well then you can't interest people into buying a subsidiary because there's no indicators there to say, well, sure, I know how well the overall company is doing, but how well is that specific part, that subsidiary? Mm -hmm. And this is where that decision 
came back to bite them. Whereas in the past, they could have hidden weaknesses by covering them with the strengths of other part of the company. Now it meant that no one had a good handle on how any of the parts of Bed Bath & Beyond were doing. Yeah, and and this is when things get really crazy up until present day. But before we get into that, I think I need to prepare myself and take a bit of a break. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. All right, so... We're coming up on the recent past mm-hmm. now. How <laughs> I hate to ask this question. How's that been going? Uh, not great. In 2018, by the end of the fourth quarter, they had closed 21 stores. Oof. Yeah, I- I'm sure they had closed more, but in Q4, they closed 21 stores. And by 2019, their profit margin was down to less than 4%. It had been up at 16.5% in 2011. Right, at their peak. Yeah. And right around 2011 to 2013 was kind of when they were riding high the highest. Yes. So by March of 2019, their stock price had dropped 80% from the high point, which was from uh, 2015. That's when Mm -hmm. they hit their highest point. So then you've got some companies still kind of looking at Bed Bath & Beyond, but not really ready to pull the trigger because... Like even an activist investor kind of went, I'm not going to touch that. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good. You go on with yourself. Yeah, but thankfully, not thankfully, I'm not sure. (laughs) It's really too early to tell. Three other activist investors said, well... Your turndown is our gain. Yeah, so we get three companies swooping in in an effort to try and transform Bed Bath & Beyond. Yes, Legion Partners Asset Management, McKellum Advisors, and Ancora Advisors. Right, and so they all think 
you know, there's some solutions we could make with Bed Bath & Beyond and help turn things around, largely by giving some love to their online presence, mm-hmm. which was still sorely behind other other uh, online retailers. And um, they also had felt that a lot of the, the, the money that Bed Bath & Beyond had either generated in revenue or received – in financing had not been properly reinvested in the actual stores themselves. Yeah. Some reports say they thought that all the money was being reinvested into the long-term management. Yeah. It, uh, one of the things we haven't really touched on, but it is definitely a factor, is that the executives, the executive level uh, uh, officers of Bed Bath & Beyond were handsomely compensated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So these investors, the Consortium of Hedge Funds, leveraged their collective 5% stake to take control of Bed Bath & Beyond and affect the change that they saw was needed or they Mm. thought was needed. Yeah, and specifically that meant shaking up management, right? Mm -hmm. And (laughs) Bed Bath & Beyond was not happy with this. Yeah. Turns out like when you've got a company that's still under at least the partial control of the founders – there is bound to be resistance when there when you know a group that has a minority stake i mean that 5% is not mm-hmm. controlling interest but it's enough to start pushing for change when when you see that happen that resistance pops up pretty darn quick especially when that trio makes a bunch of demands yeah yeah which is to replace bed bath and beyond's entire board yeah big ask potentially steven tamaris the ceo Mm-hmm. And then sell off some of their underperforming brands and non-core assets and develop a more comprehensive private label. I'm sure the private label thing was actually not what upset that Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah. No, I think it's more about firing everybody who's in yeah. charge. Yeah, they thought that these, – these investors thought that Bed Bath & Beyond still had really good value. They had a good balance sheet still despite the decline. Um, and that management was what was keeping it from growth. And they thought that they could deliver $5 per share in annual earnings over the period of the next few years with their changes. And I guess other people did too because when they announced that they wanted to shake up the board and the management, stocks in Bed Bath & Beyond rose 22%. Yeah. uh, Don't get too comfortable with that because the stock for Bed Bath & Beyond would get inflated and deflate over and over again as there were various discussions about what to actually do with the company. They even had a list of 16 nominees that they wanted considered to take over as the new board of directors. So then what happens next, Ariel? Well, Bed Bath & Beyond had their fourth quarter call, Mm -hmm. and they kind of pushed back in ways that insinuated they didn't intend to meet the investors' demands and that they were already making changes that were underway that were going to improve the company. So things like personalized data-driven marketing and improving merchandise and the structure within their buying groups and starting various test initiatives like new layouts at Generation Lab stores, which they had been already toying with. So that was already in effect. And those stores were getting more profits. Mm-hmm. So so they were like saying, forget your your activist investors. I'm going to make my own restructuring plan. Yeah, yeah. We're going to look at our free shipping requirements and update that and things like that. And they had said that with these changes that they were already implementing, their turnaround should be done by 2021. So they were also creating a fairly aggressive plan to get back to uh, to a stable position. Yes. But then we get to – and this 
is all the way up to present day as we record this episode. We're recording, by the way, in early September 2019. So by the middle of the spring, uh, then we get a new change in in the story, right? Because mm-hmm. the 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 founders, the the board of directors, essentially, and the CEO are all saying, "Hey, no, we have our own plan. There is no need for this. You investors don't have to push for this." And then, in mid spring of 2019, the founders announced they're going to retire from the board, and that they would allow uh, five new independent directors to join the board in May. Yes, but then the fourth quarter reports came out from the previous year and uh, stocks, they weren't good. And stocks dropped lower than when the board shakeup was announced. So people are starting to get hesitant about these changes. Mm -hmm. And so the trio said, yep, we definitely need to get rid of Tamaris. Um, Who had been CEO since 2003. Yeah, and then they also plan to close 40 underperforming stores and revamp and declutter the stores which by this time needed to happen. Yep. So then now that they have the the new independent board members, they have enough support on the board to put pressure on Tamaris to lead to him actually stepping down. So you could say he retired or he resigned or you could say that he was fired. It's one of those things where the pressure was clear that he was mm-hmm. no longer going to be able to stay in that he job. He was strongly encouraged to yeah. take step back. which is essentially firing. Yep. We, all, we all know what it really means. So then we get to June of 2019 and that's when the company says – okay, investors, we'll do what you want us to do. Yep. They finished changing over management and started looking at selling some of the subsidiaries like Buy by Baby and the Christmas Tree Shops and Cost Plus. But, but if they sell Christmas Tree Shops, where am I going to buy all my sporting gear? Jonathan. <laughs> so, yeah, they also started looking for a new CEO. Uh, spoiler alert, as of the recording of this podcast, they do not have a new permanent CEO. They do have an interim CEO. Yes, Mary Winston. Yeah, who is a, a president of a consulting firm. She is currently serving as CEO. Yes. And, you know, so these changes are what they promised. And Bed Bath & Beyond is still struggling to mm-hmm. gain that market back. So they're lowering prices to compete with Amazon and they're still investing in their stores. But analysts, at least as of June, were pretty wary about the turnaround still. Yeah. And so most recent news, we've got a couple points here. One is that Bed Bath & Beyond has retained Goldman Sachs. At least it's reported. Uh, yes. The the scuttlebutt, if you will, is that they've retained Goldman Sachs in an effort to look at potential buyers for the, for the company. So – Outwardly, this is not what's being messaged to the public. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the message to the public is that they're still working very hard on uh, on various plans to kind of turn the, the company around. But the rumor is that they're also at the same time looking for a possible buyer to mm-hmm. take over the company entirely. Uh, and just before we went into the studio to record this, I was looking at news reports because sometimes, you know, you see something that broke between when we researched and wrote up an episode and when we actually record it. And uh, yeah, the letter to shareholders that went out in the first week of September 2019 outlined a bunch of near-term plans to complete what they call a rapid refresh of their nearly uh, 160 stores for the 2019 holiday season so that – 
there's incentive for people to go there for their holiday mm-hmm. shopping. That's that's obviously just a near-term fix. That's where I do a lot of my holiday shopping. Yeah, you never know when someone's going to need another toilet brush. So then, Or a tiny Rubik's Cube. So then they're also looking at reducing the purchasing costs for goods. You know, we talked about how that was one of the things that really – boosted Bed Bath & Beyond mm-hmm. in the 2000s was that they had a very aggressive buyer program. They're looking at, at ways of kind of updating that for the current era. And uh, obviously, they're looking at reducing other things like they have a they have a billion dollars in inventory they're looking to reduce by 2020, by the end of 2020. I think they were looking at getting rid of some lower profit items, mm-hmm. like some lower margin items yeah. to help achieve that. And part of that also means making up enough space so that they can refresh their in-house lines mm-hmm. as well. So that's what's going on now. Uh, we still don't know exactly what's going to happen next. We don't know if the if this if this attempt will be successful or if it will be unsuccessful. And Bed Bath and Beyond is still on the the path out, or if we'll have a third party come in and take over the company. Yeah, yeah. I kind of hope they don't sell off Cost Plus because my favorite Bed Bath and Beyond has a Cost Plus in it, and so now I can go to two of uh, two stores I enjoy greatly at the same time. I don't understand this whole going to stores thing. Listen, Jonathan. So uh, what do we learn from this? I I think in Bed Bath & Beyond's case, if you are going to be long-term management, you really need to keep track of trends and pivot when the market is showing that you need to pivot. Yeah. I also think uh, you can't use your company as a bailout system for your kids. Yes, definitely that. Uh, That's (laughs) – Most probably that. I mean (laughs) – Let's just say there are other examples we could easily point to <laughs> that are looming large in current events. But you get what I'm saying. I don't I, have to come yeah. out and say it. No, no. But yeah, no, it's – it's that that seems like it's a bit uh, – more than a bit excessive. And, uh, you know, the – there were a lot of good ideas. But one of the – one of the ideas I think that was harmful to the company was that strategy of explosive growth – They didn't have a way to transition out of that into more sustainable growth. Yeah. Like explosive growth can work for a company for a time, but it is not sustainable in the long run. You will eventually hit a a market penetration that is at capacity, and you Mm -hmm. cannot expand beyond that without cannibalizing your own business. And and the thing is, like, as I was going through and researching, and I don't know if you run across the same thing – a lot of the more current reports are are not saying that Bed Bath & Beyond is no longer a good concept, that yeah. it all needs to go the way of the internet. Because, like, I know when I want to buy sheets, I would rather go and touch them. Yeah. And then if I'm buying sheets, I want to go ahead and buy a new spatula or whatever. So, Well, there's a lot of stuff that if you if you're really in the market to buy them, it is better for you to be able to go and see the stuff in person because we all know that – just your monitor settings on your computer could mean that something that looked like, oh, gosh, on the screen it looked like it's avocado, but that's clearly not avocado. Mm-hmm. And I really need it to match my avocado blender and my avocado mixer. And if it's mild moss green, that will never do. Exactly. Like now everything clashes and the swamp thing could be wandering around my kitchen and I would never know. No, it's it's the – uh, you know, that sort of stuff, we're making light of it. But no, that really does have value, right? Being able to go to a physical location and see these things and in some cases try them out to make sure that it fits whatever it is you're trying to, you know, 
to purchase. Yeah. There is a real value to that because, I, I mean, I, I know that I've certainly had experiences where I've bought things online just for the convenience, received it and thought it would have been better to have actually gone yes. to a brick and mortar store because this is not what I was hoping it would be. Well, hopefully when we get around to doing our follow-up episode of all the companies we've previously reported on and where they are now – We'll still have brick and mortars of Bed Bath & Beyond to go to. Yep. Here's hoping. So let's say that someone isn't related to you, mm -hmm. Ariel, and they want to let you know what, what sort of company we should cover in a future episode. How would they reach out to us? Well, they should email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. And you can go to our website. That's thebrinkpodcast.show. You will find an archive of all of our past episodes. So if you missed any, you can check on those. Learn all about Disney. We'll be going back to Disney before too long. <laughs> I'll literally be going to Disney uh, in like two days. Quit bragging. <laughs> but, but there's going to be a lot more for us to talk about with Disney in future episodes. But if you have other ones, send those our way. Check out our past episodes. You'll learn more about your beloved hosts. And until next time, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I've been Ariel Kasten. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you <laughs> in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B.